Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy here from the Global Smart Energy Summit in Dubai. Our guest today is Andy Karsner, Managing Partner of the Amazon Collective. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Matthias. Andy, we want to talk about the keynote you gave today on this event, uh, but we also want to talk about energy efficiency. Um, but before we jump into this, it would be great if you could introduce yourself as well as the company you're working for. Having said this, you have worked for so many companies, it would be nice, or institutions, if you could f uh, set some light on this as well. Okay, uh, happy to do that. Um, well, um, most of my career I was a power plant developer and, uh, and an energy entrepreneur. So I used to build uh, power stations around the world. And uh, sometime after 9-11, through uh, coincidences beyond my control, I became Assistant Secretary of Energy, responsible for efficiency and renewable energy, which meant uh, I had uh, responsibility for the applied science at uh, 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 the federal level of, um, of uh, our energy laboratories and our national program. Uh, which included all the things that you think about for generation, transportation, and efficiency, um, uh, vehicle technologies, uh, solar, wind, geothermal, biomass. Um, and of course, in the role of efficiency, I was America's top efficiency regulator. So I had responsibility for building standards, building codes and standards, appliance standards, uh, um, um, and uh, even contributed to CAFE reform, our vehicle efficiency standards. And, uh, and then we had voluntary programs like Energy Star, the little blue label you might notice on uh, energy guides on refrigerators and so forth. So, um, so it was a really a, um, a mixed role that led me into technology investing, um, really at the dawn of clean tech. And I became a venture capitalist and, a, and an entrepreneur after that, which uh, through various um, uh, iterations with uh, private equity and, and venture platforms ultimately led me to what I do now, which is uh, uh, have a role in, uh, in the platform of Lorene Powell Jobs uh, called the Emerson Collective, which is about unlocking the potential of uh, every individual. And we do that through uh, education and uh, immigration reform and the area that I have some responsibility for, uh, environment and the nexus between communities and humanity and nature. Um, so that's where we are now. I also have this other role at, uh, at X Labs, part of Alphabet, formerly known as Google X, where I'm a senior strategist. Um, and um, as you noted, a space cowboy. And, um, and uh, that's all about uh, uh, taming the wild west of energy innovation and, and uh, trying to bring new technologies to bear. Right, great. That sounds very interesting. You also had the keynote uh, this morning uh, here on the summit. Could you share with us what were your key messages to the audience? Well, um, uh, it was a long keynote, so, so there was a, a bunch embedded in that. I talked about crude code and capital. Uh, and crude, I meant as a proxy for natural resources, not just oil and gas, but uh, um, uh, anything that we take from nature. It could be fisheries and mangroves and rainforest uh, and equally minerals and mining and extractives. But uh, what are we doing in our physical world? Uh, code uh, as a proxy, not just for software engineering, but for all of the technology evolution and development that is scaling very rapidly now. And in particular, I talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and the role of the tech sector becoming a sector for everybody, that one had to include that in everything they do. And capital, how do we unify the relationships between technology and our natural physical world, crude and code. And I talked about uh, uh, the need for new capital to be born, not just the fiat paper currencies of Bretton Woods, but 
but uh, I spoke about virtual capital and the blockchain and how that was uh, changing the way that authenticated peer-to-peer -peer networks were uh, evolving markets for attributes that we could include in, into our trades and our transactions. I talked about um, uh, natural capital, how we need true cost accounting for our impact and our footprint uh, in nature and how uh, uh, virtual capital would help that. And I talked about human capital, which is uh, not just uh, human resources, but what does it mean uh, to be human when the machines think faster and process better and, and uh, uh, scale more rapidly than our own capacities? And, uh, Specifically, I talked about the Descartes quote, I think, therefore I am. Mm. And what does it mean when the machines can think as much? And so, so, uh, so there's a real uh, need to uh, reflect on big questions, and hopefully it was provocative for the audience. Right, so that maybe leads me uh, to, to a follow-up question there. We, are, we haven't discussed also around the summit here the impact of the energy transition uh, disruptions through digitalization, all points. You kind of mentioned new technologies. Uh, I saw in an earlier discussion you had on a panel that you talked about inequality to access to new technologies, to access to energy. Looking across the world, we still see that, uh, that there is a lot of inequality. Do, do you see that these new disruptive transformations, or how we want to call them, uh, is helping us to get more equality with regards to having access to whatever, education, electricity, this digital advancements? Well, the disruptions themselves uh, aren't responsible. Uh, it, the question is, how do we manage the disruptions in a thoughtful, designed manner? Um, and that's what I tried to impress upon the audience today, is that uh, we are in an inevitable, inexorable transition, and we have to design the outcome if we don't want to drift there by default. And I sort of hearkened back to uh, that grand competition between Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison mm -hmm. to light the world through different medium and platforms uh, just over a century ago. And what it meant at the Chicago World's Fair when for the first time we lit up a city and turned night into day. That it was so consequential, the reverberations so great that everybody had to stop and pause, whether they were from commerce or science or policy or politics, they had to stop and pause and say, what do we do with the technological inflection of this magnitude? And what was decided then was it was so big, everybody in humanity, everybody in the human family ought to be able to access it, it should become ubiquitous. And so a social compact was born that said we would always have our electrons affordable and reliable and, uh, and universally available. But we have generally failed on that last one more than 100 years later. We still have up to a third of humanity that doesn't have access. And so the first thing to do when we move from a centralized model of monopoly distributed top-down power delivery into a bottom-up model driven by technology is to ask ourselves with a paradigm shift in the same way as we did 100 years ago, what do we do with the new social compact? And so I would say you have to add to affordable and reliable and universally accessible. You have to uh, add the attributes that it must be clean mm -hmm. and it must be equitable in the diffusion of that technology because otherwise we're going to stratify and polarize the commons when in fact we need to bring people together using these technologies. And we can only do that in a thoughtfully designed way and right now it's not occurring that way. Mm -hmm. So we, we also launched a, a report here on this event which, got, which talks about the energy transition framework for cities. And one interesting finding was there that 
because uh, of the pressures cities are under due to mega trends of urbanization and a big concentration of, of population, that they drive now trends or start driving trends themselves, be it sustainability, be it energy efficiency. Um, when we talk about the drivers to move towards a more sustainable, uh, more equal uh, world. What do you think? Where does it come from? I mean, should governments take a stronger role there? Should we leave it to the market? Is it single cities? Um, what is driving us that direction? Well, I'd say yes and yes and yes, right? It's I mean, it, it's, it's, it's um, um, uh, you can't do, you can't achieve the things you want to achieve without the market. Mm -hmm. You know, the market is the most powerful, prolific source of transformation that we have an opportunity to ride on the backbone of. But markets don't make community strategy in and of themselves. So there is an indispensable role for governance, and in particular, one would hope democratic informed governance, mm. to guide and shape the market parameters that could uh, uh, yield societal outcomes that we all desire. Right. Um, uh, that's not working right now. We have too much uh, political obsolescence and political dysfunction to be serving in that way. So it really is a bit more of a free for all than we would like. Um, um, and and um, and hopefully we can have uh, some convergence uh, um, again around thoughtful demand, uh, thoughtful design of, of a public sector aspiration with private market performance. So you need both if you want to get there in an intelligent way. It, it doesn't mean good things aren't happening. Mm. You know, at, at a time in, uh, in an affluent suburb, uh, um, in most American cities, that uh, anybody without permission of the utility, without permission of government, can go to a local hardware store and instantly come home with a way to uh, take their own homes off the grid mm. by solarizing them within weeks and then pump that sunshine into their electric vehicles and avoid going to a gas station and do all of that cost effectively while they clean the air and feel better about their family. At a time where that can occur, it should occur in every um, uh, neighborhood, not only in the neighborhoods of those with single, value, single family homes and high credit ratings. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be selected by market forces. It should be a thoughtful design of our public institutions to see that our communities evolve together in the same way that all those policymakers looked at the consequence of night turning into day and said every single American home should have lights that turn on so that families have literacy and ways to cool their food you know, through refrigeration. We have to be that thoughtful and that deliberate about the universality of our community's evolution if we want that to occur. Right. Thank you. Um, I'd like to take parts of this uh, to the energy efficiency space. One thing which strikes me there, the uh, same as for renewable generation, there's a lot of talk about energy efficiency, but different from renewable generation, uh, where a lot of investment is going in there and we see a lot of projects coming up. At least in this part of the world and also in Southeast Asia, we see not much happening. A lot of interest, but not much happening. On the opposite, or in the US, um, we still have highest energy consu consumption per capita, but we see quite a big pressure on energy efficiency projects. A lot is happening. Uh, also for us, that's a very important market. How do we explain this imbalance around the globe, around that topic? Yeah, that's a great question. It's usually explained with erroneous assumptions and for political reasons. Um, um, and I say that because it's, they're very real statistically, but people don't always grab sort of what the 
underlying basis is of the differentiation. So uh, if you're promoting uh, the sale of electrons, you'll say, oh, it's a marker of wealth that we have uh, a far greater uh, use of electrons than, uh, than people uh, by ratio. If you're promoting environmental justice and you're in India or China, you'll say, oh, per capita consumption is so low and therefore we're owed the opportunity to pollute as well as you did 100 years ago so that we can bring everybody up in an equal thing. So these are usually driven by different um, uh, motives and different interests in different ways at different times. The truth is, it's actually most driven by geography, mm. by, by uh, natural uh, uh, occurring conditions. Um, uh, Europe is getting warmer. Uh, several people died in a heat wave uh, mm -hmm. uh, a couple years back. That was unfathomable. People in the United States couldn't understand why people were dropping like flies in France until somebody said they don't really have air conditioning. You know, and so when you talk about energy density right away, you've got to say, well, United States, for whatever reasons in its evolution at a time that energy was thought to be inexhaustible and without impact, decided it would build its major cities in Phoenix and El Paso and San Antonio and Orlando in Miami in the most inhospitable hot environments that the world has known. So we built Disney World in the middle of a swamp and we built Las Vegas in the middle of the desert and we uh, uh, sort of took it as normal because we could electrify and bring water to those things and, and, and bring cooling. So that explains a lot about energy density per capita, energy intensity per capita rather, mm -hmm. when, you, when a third of your population lives in deserts fundamentally. It doesn't make it right or wrong, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the older uh, societies that more usefully built on river systems and places that were more hospitable um, uh, just haven't had central cooling. That doesn't explain everything. It certainly doesn't explain the question you've asked about, which is waste, yeah. right? I mean, and waste is sort of impermissible under any circumstance, right? Uh, why would we waste something when we could monetize it instead? How do you turn a waste stream into a value stream? So the more interesting statistic to look at than energy intensity per capita is, is um, are we decoupling and separating the need for energy growth from economic growth? Can you create prosperity at a time that you increase efficiency and decline usage? Those are actually the lines that we want to uh, watch the most. And too often when people think about efficiency, they're not really thinking about efficiency. They're thinking about conservation. They're basically saying, I'll turn the lights off because if they're off, I'll use less. I'll do less with less. But efficiency is not about doing less with less. It's about doing more with less. So how do you change your thermostat to a machine learning, uh, artificially intelligent, device that has sensors embedded into it that with pre great precision are monitoring the comforts and convenience and control of your environment and sipping electrons rather than gulping them for the same net output and, and human impact, right? That's efficiency. That's where we're going with the integration of these technologies. And the question for this whole conference was how rapidly can we get there and how do you do it in a secure and safe way? Right, so we have also an energy transition outlook and the de decoupling of the energy consumption from, from the growth of, of economy uh, is something which we foresee there in a couple of years uh, down the line as well. Another interesting thought uh, around this is uh, this which comes under the headline circular economy mm -hmm. and uh, maybe that needs to be our closing question looking at the time. Um, what do you think, again, taking all these things which happen to us right now, technology improvements, uh, people moving closer together, uh, higher expectations to quality in life, 
uh, how can a concept like the circular economy help us in that field? Well, I'm a big fan of circular economy. I think the phrase was originally coined by my good friend Bill McDonough, who wrote the uh, book uh, Cradle to Cradle and the Berlin Principles at the dawn of uh, climate negotiations. And, and Bill would pitch it in a very interesting way by saying that, um, saying that uh, um, uh, um, elements in our physical sphere are just that. Carbon is not the enemy. Um, uh, the question is, are we releasing carbon to the atmosphere when we should, in a circular way, be capturing it and, and embedding it into value streams? He would say, we, we're made of carbon. So to me, if I stretch out that question in the way that we examine it every day, I, I think of this as a problem of symbiosis. How are we, uh, humanity, in symbiosis with nature? How do we restore, strengthen, heal the healthy harmony that is naturally designed between us uh, uh, and, uh, and, and our need to perpetuate the longevity of our species and the quality of the ways we interact? That can only happen when we have healthy symbiosis with our natural habitats. And that can only happen through the design of circular economy. So all the technological tools that we have, we have to be assertive about if they can help us reach symbiosis with sensors and optics and measuring the treasure around us in ways that we can have an internet of natural things, mm. in ways that we can be connected, uh, not just amongst communities, but with communities with our nature. That's the end state of a circular economy that breeds the healthy uh, uh, chances of our species, of our, of our humanity to prosper. And so I hope that that's sort of the net outcomes of where we're going with all these smart devices and, and the energy future dialogues we've had here today. I like the internet of natural things. So thank you very much, Andy, for these valuable insights and giving me two new words, space cowboy and, and the internet of natural things. Thank you, Matthias. Uh, thanks for your time and for the listeners. Thank you for listening. Uh, that was Andy Karsner, managing partner from the Amazon Collective. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.